Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Monday, March 21st, and this is your FT News Briefing. Russia's attack on Ukraine is entering its 26th day. Fierce fighting continued in Mariupol yesterday, and Moscow demanded that Ukraine surrender control of the besieged port city. Meanwhile, Russia's economy is starting to feel the bite of Western sanctions. We'll hear from our correspondent about shortages and surging prices. You are seeing empty shelves when it comes to staple goods that people are sweeping off the shelves in order to stock up in case of further price rises. Plus, European regulators are finally set to agree on new rules for big tech. I'm Joanna Gao, in for Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Germany yesterday said it signed a long-term deal with Qatar to source liquefied natural gas. Germany's economy minister was in Doha as part of a tour of Gulf states. He said this deal would be a door opener for the country's economy because it would reduce its reliance on imported Russian gas. More than half of Germany's annual supply of LNG comes from Russia. His trip comes as EU leaders prepare to meet in Brussels later this week to discuss rising energy prices. Russian consumers are feeling the effect of Western sanctions. Prices are rising, certain goods are disappearing from shelves, and consumers are panic buying. The FT's Polina Ivanova joins me to talk more about what's going on there. Hi, Polina. Hi, hello. So how are sanctions being felt by ordinary Russians? It's starting to have an effect. I think in particular, price rises are um, starting to be felt, especially on consumer goods, on uh, automobiles, on things like refrigerators and that sort of thing, you know, big consumer goods starting to really shoot up in price. The government is trying to keep tabs on the prices of staple goods, but panic buying of those has spread like wildfire. So you see a lot of videos on social media of people in supermarkets, you know, almost fighting over bags of sugar. There is no actual deficit or shortage. So people's response to these economically risky situations is to stock up on some of their key staple goods, things like buckwheat, sunflower oil and sugar and flour. So you're describing a lot of panic, but what goods are actually in short supply? So things like iPhones and items that people think could run out or could disappear off the market very soon because of this sort of Western corporate exodus from Russia. And also anything that uh, requires imports. So I spoke to one coffee chain in a town in Siberia, a chain of five coffee shops that has decided to shut down. They rely on imported coffee beans, which shot up in value. They also rely on cardboard cups, which have gone up, I think, in the first three days following the introduction of Western sanctions, shot up by something like 70%. The chain also runs a bar that was supposed to be Mexican-themed and provide tequila, but because of supply chain disruptions since the outbreak of war and Western companies not being willing to work with the Russian market at the moment, the team is learning how to distill tequila. And what about the sanctions on banks and financial transactions? How is that affecting people? Yes. So um, Visa and MasterCard's departure and Apple Pay and this kind of thing means that though credit card transactions within the country are still functioning on those systems, international payments are not. And People who earn money from abroad, whether they, I don't know, do online courses or run some businesses that require international payments, they're unable at the moment to really process them. So there's been a run on trying to secure cards that use a Chinese payment system called Union Pay, which 
Some Russian banks have actually posted on social media about how they are short of plastic because they need to be producing all of these union pay cards all of a sudden. So, Polina, how are people responding? Are they angry about this? I think what has been striking for me is that people are focusing on making do and kind of working out loopholes rather than necessarily sort of reacting with anger towards the government or anger towards the situation in general. You know, when Instagram was blocked, a lot of people moved to the Russian domestic platforms with payment systems blocked. People are finding these union pay cards when they run businesses that rely on imports. They're trying to find domestic solutions. Everybody is trying to keep going and finding creative ways to do that. Polina Ivanova is the FT's correspondent covering Russia and Ukraine. Governments around the world have struggled to rein in the power of digital empires like Google and Apple. This week, European regulators are set to finalize new rules for big tech, rules they hope will be a model for other countries. Our EU correspondent, Javier Espinoza, joined me to talk more. Hi, Javier. Hello. Hi, Adriana. So we've spoken with you quite a bit as you've followed this over the past two years, and there are two parts to these rules. One's for consumer privacy, and the other's to maintain market competition. And that's the one I want to focus on, the Digital Markets Act. Can you remind us what that would do? So the premise is that only a handful of American companies have dominated, have cornered markets, and we don't have any rules that allow for a sort of like enabling companies to emerge. So, for example, I've spoken to Andy Yen, who is the founder of a, an email provider called Proton Mail, which is substantially much smaller than Google. And he was telling me, you know, we grow based on the goodwill of tech giants because at the moment we have a non-regulated Wild West. So big tech companies fought really hard against this. What happened? Why couldn't these powerful companies and their lobbyists fend off these rules? So Google and company, Apple, Amazon, all these companies have been extremely active over the last couple of years. One limitation that they have faced is that usually lobbying happens in the corridors of parliament and in coffee houses in Brussels and in the corridors of the European Commission. But the problem has been that they were not able to, because of all the tough limitations on our lives in the last couple of years, so they had to rely on uh, remote meetings, which has not been the same. So lawmakers and MEPs and EU officials that I talk to on a regular basis here tell me that they feel their lobbying has been ineffective, even though they have really invested millions of dollars into trying to influence the regulation. So how transformative is this and how will they be different from current antitrust efforts? It's quite transformative because in the past, the burden of proof lied with regulators. So they had to prove Facebook or Apple were breaking EU law, that they were undermining competitors. But now the whole idea of this new regulation is that Google and Facebook and all these big tech companies have to actually show that they are being pro-competitive. So there's been a reversal of the burden of proof in like 
you have to show that you're not doing bad. That sounds like a pretty big turnaround, a big change for big tech. Is this a done deal? We expect, if everything goes according to plan, to have an agreement between the European Commission, the Parliament and the countries of the EU on Thursday. And then if that goes ahead, this should turn into law, become law by the beginning of next year. But even if there was a minor delay of a few weeks and we have something by Easter or just after, it's done. So for sure, we can say that big tech has lost, but even though we're going to have these rules, we have to like watch carefully how these tech companies implement this and how they might bring the EU to court because they might allege they are not gatekeepers or that they are not breaking the law, even though it's set in these new rules. So, you know, we'll have to see how it plays out. Javier Espinoza is the FT's EU correspondent. Before we go, chip makers are looking at a two-year shortage of critical equipment. The warning comes from ASML. The company makes lithography machines that etch circuits onto silicon wafers. It's critical to the supply chain. ASML's chief executive just said he won't be able to ship enough machines to meet rising demand. Intel just last week announced plans to invest more than $100 billion to expand manufacturing in Europe and the U.S. It wants to reduce reliance on Asia. Meanwhile, Korean companies and Taiwan's TSMC are also investing hundreds of billions of dollars to make more chips. You can read more about all of these stories at FT.com. If you aren't a subscriber yet, you can read our key Ukraine coverage for free. Just visit FT.com slash free to read. Again, that's FT.com slash free to read. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.